CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. As I speak, it is Wednesday, July 31st, but you'll be hearing this anytime in the universe. And this particular show may be one in which you don't want to listen right now. You want to listen later. We'll get into that uh, when we introduce the show. I've uh, been wanting to have this conversation for a long time. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the movie that came out last week. It's Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. Count them nine. Uh, he says there's only going to be one more. And I've assembled three of the most knowledgeable people about movies that I know. And as we do in every bonus segment, I allow my guest to introduce, in this case, himself, tell a little bit something about himself that you should know. And then we'll get into our discussion. So I'll start with this guest right over here. Introduce yourself. Uh, good morning, Mr. and Mr. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. He used to say that. Edward R. Murrow. No. No. It was um, uh, the other old boy. What's his name? Uh, he's a journalist. Uh, uh, um, began with a W. Um, right. Come on. Uh, I can't remember it right Walter now. Winchell. Walter Winchell. I had the Correct. W part right. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, time out, man. What cute. Quentin oh, doing the live stream bonus. I figured I put my sunglasses on. my shades, on, you know? man? I got to put my shades on. All right. Oh, uh, look at us. No. Uh, see, I don't have any shades. There you go. Uh, my name is Sergio Mims, and I have to plug, of course, the Black Harvest Film Festival, which starts this Saturday. That's correct. Uh, the day you're probably listening to this for the first day. It runs from August 3rd to the 29th, our 25th year. 25th anniversary. Uh, uh, one of two two of the longest running black film festivals in the country in the world and one of the longest film festivals period ever and um by the way i forgot to mention i will be receiving the gene cisco legacy award on um august 18th at five o'clock for all the years of service that i have done to, for the Black Harvest right. Film Festival. All right. And I haven't done it for free either. Yes, he has been. <laughs> Young man. Yes, sir. Hello, my name is Chris Buddy. I'm a filmmaker and video producer in Chicago. And I guess my latest project, which you can check out, is a documentary film on the world of uh, blackjack players, guys who beat the game of professional blackjack by counting cards. It's currently on the front page of the documentaries on the iTunes store. And uh, You Can't Beat the Price is a special promotion, 99 cent rental. Six ninety nine to buy it at uh, hmm. Amazon Prime in the iTunes Store. Check it out. Uh, and what's the name of it? Did you see Inside it? the Edge: A Professional Blackjack Adventure? I great did not. flick. I've seen it. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Christopher Adams. I'm a self-taught independent filmmaker here in Chicago. Been doing film and video for over thirty years. Um, I have a feature film called Paradigm Gray, which will be hitting streaming services in the fall. And I have another film uh, that is in pre-production right now called The Hate. Uh, and that's all I can say about that. All right, but what else do you have? 
Don't you have a movie coming like at the Black oh, Harvest we, Film Festival? We, we were the production uh, team for a film by Shahari Moore uh, called Chicago Guy that's premiering opening night at the Chicago at the Black Harvest Film Festival. Very good. So, yeah, I uh, should add that because for we did something special for our 25th year was that uh, for the first time we commissioned five shorts by uh, five local, I should say, Midwest-based black filmmakers. The uh, first time we ever done this, and uh, we had a jury, and they selected a five. One was Shahari Moore, um, and uh, these films are premiering. The world premiere of five shorts this Saturday. I haven't seen them myself, so I'm excited to see yeah. them. All right, and uh, so I don't know if you... You gave the info if folks want information. Oh, yeah. Just give it one more if time. If people want information, very simple. Go to Cisco, S-I-S-S-I-S-K-E-L, CiscoFilmCenter.org, and they can um, download schedule. They can order tickets. Um, by the way, opening night is almost sold out. So there you go. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. So uh, let's get down to business here. Once a time in Hollywood. Let me uh, say, you guys started at 4 o'clock. I'm watching the clock. You got one hour, boys. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood is the name of the movie. Quentin Tarantino is the name of the director. I'm obsessed with the movie. Uh, and uh, I have a bit of an obsession with Quentin Tarantino for many different reasons. Uh, and I'd love to pick the brains of these three gentlemen. Know a lot about movies. Know a lot about Quentin Tarantino. I'm going to just say this up front, folks. Spoiler alert time. Eh, eh, eh. We're going to be talking about this movie from start to finish. We're not going to hold back. We're going to assume that everybody who uh, is listening has seen it. So I urge absolutely everybody who does not want to know what happens in the movie but intends to see the movie uh, to listen to the download. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, now... There are people out there right now watching on this uh, on the live stream. You've already seen the movie. This is just going to benefit you. It's going to be like fertilizer in your brain. It's going to enrich your understanding of what you saw. And you may vehemently disagree uh, with some of the people in this room. I know I vehemently disagree with some of the people in this room and their attitudes. But you can maybe learn something from what they have to say. So one more time. If you do not want to know what happens in this movie... Well, listen to us on I, uh, uh, when we do the podcast after you've seen the movie. All right. That said, uh, let's start with just a general overall all view about the movie. I'm going to begin with Christopher Adams. Uh, and uh, Chris, general overview on the movie. Meh. No. Wow. wow. I no, told you, baby. No. no, man, would you leave the room? Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, do by, by the way, before before I go further, uh you've like you've seen all of Tarantino's slicks. Yes, I have. Every single one. Every correct? single one. Mm -hmm. And you're you like many of his movies. Majority, yes. Majority. As I recall, you like Django. Am I correct yeah. about that? Yeah. Okay. All right, so explain the math. For me, it was a struggle to stay awake through most of the, uh, everything up until the last 20 minutes for me. I was just like, okay, it was, uh, I felt it to be a um, homage to old Hollywood, which I'm not a fan of because they were very non-inclusive. I think I saw one black person in the movie. Um, in, 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 in the Tarantino yeah, movie. Yeah, in the yeah. Tarantino movie. Where was uh, the black person? Uh, it was one of the bunnies at the bunny ranch at the Playboy Club. There are a okay. few scattered here and there. Yeah, yeah but none with any. Yeah, yeah. but none, none with any. Which is really, by the way, we'll talk about that uh, mm -hmm. a little later. But uh, Tarantino, uh, this may have been the fewest black people in a Tarantino <laughs> movie. Yeah, definitely. And no N-word. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he went, he got criticized so much for that. He, I'll go in the other direction. <laughs> All right. Right. Continue. So he tells, I think, to, to I can't criti- win. Yeah. 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 To criticize yeah. Him. Chris Adams doesn't I like me was, no matter what I do. It was a, it was a lot of, uh, I think, um, he replaced the, 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 the blacks with the Mexicans, I guess, for the, the butt of the racial kind of tones. But yeah, it just, you know, it really didn't, didn't resonate with me. I liked the last act. That was about it. All right, we'll get mm-hmm. to the last yeah. act. So uh, Chris Buddy, your response? Almost exactly opposite. I liked it a lot. I mean, it's kind of right in my wheelhouse, the like late 60s Hollywood shift, which we've talked about before mm-hmm. together. Um, I liked all the kind of subtle references to things that you kind of had to piece your mind together. I was at a reference to Guns of Navarone or whatever else, other things. I thought Leo and Brad Pitt were unbelievable, maybe the best acting I've ever seen them yeah. do. Uh, I liked the last act, but we'll get into it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very conflicted about the last act. Mm-hmm. And I, almost, I came away not liking it, but I've thought about it a little bit. And because it was so well done and so entertaining, I like it. So overall, I'd give it a solid B plus. Sergio? I love it. Absolutely love it. I, um, I compare it to Billy Wilder's Fedora. Billy Wilder, at the, towards the end of his career, made a film, Fedora, which is sort of a other take on his earlier film, Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. But what Fedora is, is an old man looking at a Hollywood that was long gone, that he had been part of or he loved that was long gone and this is what Tarantino does he is reminiscing about a Hollywood that is long gone um I told you know I was so excited about this movie before it came out because I said this is my childhood I grew up in that period Mm-hmm. I remember those movies. I remember the FBI. Mm-hmm. I used to watch it every Sunday with my parents. Yeah. What you do on Sundays? Yeah. You watch the FBI, a Quentin Martin production, mm-hmm. you know. And when he recreates that, but putting uh, DiCaprio, DiCaprio in, yeah. and then with the and then do the freeze frame, da, 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 you know, yeah. and the titles, right? And all the inside references, the inside references within inside references, and. Um, as I tell people, and I've had I had a long discussion with someone over the weekend about this, who kind of felt the same as you. He didn't care for it. And I said, um, well, here's the thing. It, is, it really was a movie made for you. It was made for me. You know, it's like Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know half those characters. Yeah. I don't know who they are or yeah. what they're doing. Because he grew up in that. That film. Well, all right. Hollywood so so right. Uh, deal with uh, uh, Christopher's uh main um criticism if the movie doesn't if the movie's only meant for or made for one segment uh-huh. of of an audience yeah can it be a great movie yeah sure yeah sure of course you know why not um for example you catch a Joey Heatherton reference in the movie? Yeah, that was Joey Heatherton who was next to Steve McQueen. Exactly. At the <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. Exactly. Mr. Adams like, oh, no, shit. Okay. No, I, okay. That, it's it didn't, like, like, it's like when, when they're at the Playboy Mansion yeah. earlier in the scene. Yeah. Okay. And then he shows these titles. You know, Jay Sebring, uh, Michelle Phillips. Mama yes. Cass. And then, yeah, Mama Cass comes in. Yeah. Who's the fat woman who comes in? Mama Cass. Mama yeah. Cass, right? Or like, uh, this is real inside, okay? Yeah. Uh, in Django, when Leonardo DiCaprio gets shot, okay? Uh-huh. He gets shot through a boutonniere. 
Yeah. Remember? Yeah. And the blood drips yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. That's from the mercenary. Sergio Cabucci's Western. Okay, when Jack Palance at the end, I, I know the movie. I, I got the blue right. Okay, he gets shot and yeah. he gets shot through the bunier, right? Yeah. Okay, so Sharon Tate goes to see her goes to see Wrecking Crew. Yeah, what's the poster that's showing? Our next preview. There's a poster there oh, for the next film uh, yeah. that's coming out. It's mercenary. It's a mercenary. Uh, you know Whoa. the movie. The, okay, <laughs> the, the um, yeah, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are based on Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham. Yeah. Okay, because Burt Reynolds at the time was doing these TV shows like Dan August, and his career was yeah. going nowhere. Right. Yeah. Okay, so he went to Hollywood. I'm, I'm sorry, he went to Italy. And made an Italian Western. Burt Reynolds went to Italy? Yeah, How he did, did an Italian that? Western. No, he went to, he did Wait, Italian Western. You're not, you're mixing him up with Clint Eastwood. No, no, no. Burt Reynolds, <laughs> Burt Reynolds went to Italy and did an Italian okay. Western called Navajo Joe. Yeah. Directed oh, by. Navajo Joe is that? I, I, did, I saw Navajo yeah, I Joe. Directed, that was made in Italy? Yeah. Directed by Sergio Cabucci. So, so that's the Nebraska gym. Uh, Nebraska gym. He goes to Italy to make a movie directed by Sergio right, Cabucci, yeah. who did a lot of Italian westerns. G, uh, Nebraska gym, yeah. and it's references within references with it's yeah. like now that makes the film for me a deeper and richer experience. Yeah, uh, 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 Chris Buddy, did you see things in the film the way? Uh, Sir- oh, uh, can I mention one 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 yeah. more? Okay, when um, you know the scene with Sharon Tate and Jay Sebling are going to a restaurant. Right, and those clique lights down the street. Yeah, the, the porno thing. And he, what's the movie? That, what's the movie? That's deep premiered? throw. Yeah, deep throw. Was no, it? no, no, not deep throw. Deep oh. throw came later. Oh. Uh, deep no, throw was in nineteen. Yeah, it was about seventy two. But what uh, came out sixty nine? Uh, uh, well, I'm not really hip on my porno movies here. No, no, no. I am curious. Yellow. Oh yeah, that's what's man. premiering down the street. I am curious. Yeah. <laughs> what? I uh, know that he's like he didn't know. So did you see things in it? Uh, uh, not as deep as that. I mean, I don't. Oh, I couldn't. Go, you know, I was not of the era. Obviously, I liked. I mean, I love those film references to my. You know, I love when he says, you know, who tried out for the Great Escape, the Three Georges. Oh, what I is love he? Papard, Maharis, and uh, uh, geez, when he to, who's Hannibal from? Yeah. Uh, he, oh, no. When he put uh, a DiCaprio in the scene. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked all that because obviously I've seen The Great Escape. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know FBI or you know Gunsmoke, all the things that they referenced to like the TV era. Yeah. Um, I liked some of the film stuff, and I liked. The shift. I liked when you know he'd yell Dennis Hopper as a derogatory term at the hippies. Yeah. You know, call him Dennis Hopper, and he's kind of fe- he's feeling yeah. like this, the constraints of like this new wind coming in, obviously, but also recognizes that you know uh, Roman Polanski's the new hot director on the town. He lives next to him. The excitement of that. Oh, you know, I go to one pool party, and maybe my career is so. All those little references that are a little broader. Okay. I don't get the like the boutonniere and the the different uh, all the movie posters. I couldn't keep up with, but I did like it. I thought the film was. I thought the film was technically uh, really good. The cinematography I, I thought was excellent. Uh, I like the editing, but once again, all those little side elements. It's, it's, it's like looking for Easter eggs in a Marvel movie. It's like, okay, is that helping me? Is it is it helping the story along? Am I caring about these characters? And ultimately, I really wasn't. So that was the problem with me. Uh, and uh, talk about the, uh, you, you made a reference to his attitude toward the Mexican-American characters in the movie, uh, the derogatory comments. Uh, this is something that other people have uh, mentioned in their criticism. Yeah, I mean, and that was, you know, in, in the old Westerns, you know, uh, there were lots of derogatory uh, statements made about Mexicans in, in a very matter-of-fact matter way. Um, but that was just, you know, the times. And I get that, and I don't mean I want to go pay and see that. 
Well, um, what the, there's so many layers to this picture, and one of the main things is, of course, what is a, a titanic shift that happened in Hollywood in 1969, mm -hmm. okay? Like the one that's going on right now, 50 years later, where now it's a Disneyfication of everything. Disney owns everything, okay? Disney owns Fox, you know? The five biggest grossing films this year are all Disney pictures. Is that Dis right? Yeah, it's yeah. true. Disney's taking over everything. The five? What are the five biggest, I did not know uh, that. Of this year, this, oh, this year. year, okay. Right, yeah, this yeah. year. Um, um, but what happened in 69 was, of course, the rating system, the MPAA. Mm -hmm. And that was the first full year that movies were rated by the MPAA. So you had GMRX, and movies had really changed. Sometimes the placement of the posters in the movie reflects the change that was going on in Hollywood. When you see Ice Station Zebra poster against the sergeant. You know, and I said, wow, that's the split right mm -hmm. there. I'll explain later what, what that means. But um, um, what happens at the end of the movie is in a way a reflection of what was happening in movies at that time. They were becoming more violent. What came out 50 years ago this month? The, the Wild Bunch. Mm -hmm. The Wild Bunch changed everything. Even though that film was a flop, the Wild Bunch, in terms of depiction of violence, now it looks pretty tame, actually, compared to what you can see in movies. Yeah. Compared to the end of the movie, yeah. it's pretty tame. But at the time, the Wild Bunch was considered, oh my God, we have gone too far. Yeah. And it was that titanic shift that happened. So what was going on in Hollywood at the time in the business is kind of reflected what's going on in Tarantino's movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and another point of criticism, Chris Buddy, I'll let you start off with this one. Uh, was, I, I alluded to this when we were off mic. Uh, there was an article, well, been, been several articles, very critical of the movie about its attitude toward women. And uh, one, there's, uh, okay, all right, spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, the, um, uh, br the Brad Pitt character is a, a tough uh, uh, stunt, stunt man. And uh, there's, he's got this reputation for toughness in part because he allegedly murdered his wife. Now they don't take a real hard stand on whether he actually did murder her. It's just sort of his reputation that people talk about from time to time. Uh, but that has struck many people, particularly many women. Like, like that, that's kind of a huge thing just to put out there and not deal with. And you know, you're making this guy a hero. Uh, what's your response? Your attitude about that, Chris Buddy? It didn't necessarily uh, reach my radar more than I think the what my criticism of that road, if we go down, is tied into the the end. If we can get into the end, which I don't think we should do yet, because the way that Sharon Stone, oh Sharon Stone, Jesus, Sharon Tate, uh, Shannon Tate, Sharon Shannon, Sharon Tate, Sharon Tate was kind of a character in this movie was not really. I, I don't know that she was a character more than just kind of like a. Symbol, a symbol, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so let's just can we just jump right into the ending because I'm very conflicted well, about the ending. I, I, just well, say, I just want to say one thing yeah. about that that scene with Brad Pitt and his wife. Um, I thought that was the best cut that I've seen in a movie this year. I mean, an editing cut because. Uh, well, to give it, well, we're going to give away spoilers. This is running thing that he possibly killed his wife. Yes. Okay. So he's having an argument with his wife and he's sitting on a boat, deck of boat, and he's got a spear gun. Yeah. He's pointing Aimed it right at her. Yeah. Hey, right. And he holds that shot to the very last minute. He cuts. Yeah. And you don't, 
did he do it or not? But that's the ambiguity. That's the point. Yeah. Did he do it or not? Yeah. But I said, it got a huge laugh from the audience because he holds that shot for the perfect amount, for the maybe amount of time to build that tension. Well, okay. And, and, just, cuts, and just, just to, one more time, uh, he's sitting on a boat with his wife. Uh, she's ripping him. Right. She's drinking a beer, and she's just on his ass. Right. I forget what he did. Right. It's by you're stupid, you're worthless, I can't believe I married you, mm-hmm. here I am stuck in this freaking boat with you, and he's just sitting there absorbing those blows, and you just see that look on his face like, God damn, I want to shut her up. And then they cut, uh, and they've been alluding to the fact that there's this reputation he has for having murdered his wife, and the audience laughs because it's like, yeah, she deserved it. kind of, <laughs> and that is why this the notion of just, uh, you know, no matter what a woman does, she does not deserve to be killed because she's nagging you. Well, Christopher you know- Adams, you agree with me? <laughs> do you agree? You don't deserve to be killed. <laughs> well, I, I I I do like that. That was one of the things that did stick stick out that kept me mm-hmm. awake. In the show, as I was. Oh man, driving. he's hard on the movie. Um, of course, let's but, just see. Saw a ten thirty uh, uh, matinee, mm-hmm. so it was early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. But I was I was excited for it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of his work, but um, but I I think uh, the, I love the ambiguity that they didn't resolve that. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, mm-hmm. you know, and um, which they do in a lot of Japanese movies, I think too. Mm-hmm. Um, right, they do what in a lot of Japanese? Keep it li- ambiguous. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of ambigu- amb- ambiguity. Um, but then I thought you had other characters. I thought uh, uh, Sharon Tate's character, um, I thought she was cool. Um, so I don't know. It's like people nitpick what they think is, and they, they want to say all women aren't this, but it's like you had Sharon Tate's character who was who was happy to be in Hollywood. She didn't yeah. have any, uh, they didn't, they, she didn't have any negative issues in, in the film. She was just really like a really, man, I'm blessed to be here I'm in this situation and be this actress and, you know, going to check out her own movie and, and listening to the audience reactions and stuff. So, you know, people that are trying to say it was anti-woman or whatever, I don't think that's... No, I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, she, yeah. she um, right, Polanski and Sharon Tate were the hottest couple in Hollywood at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, they had met when he did The Fear of the Vampire Killers. And she's in the movie, and that's how they first met, right? And they were the hot couple. And she had been in some, what's the movie? Uh, Valley of the Dolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had this she wasn't a lister yet, but she was kind of working her way up there. And she was married to the hottest director right. at the time, Roman Polanski, who had Rosemary's Baby that mm-hmm. came out the year before. So, right, she represents sort of like the optimism still in Hollywood at that time, that you can come there and you could make it mm-hmm. in, in, in sense, which is why I think the ending is brilliant. All right, we'll get to it in a little while, but I just want I, I, that that scene where um, uh, they cut away and they suggest that uh, uh, Brad Pitt may have killed his wife uh-huh. because she was nagging at him. Uh, as uh, it would reminded me of a scene in what my favorite uh, Quentin Tarantino movie, Jackie Brown, where uh, Bridget Fonda is just riding Robert De Niro. Oh, right? yeah. yeah, just riding yeah. Robert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this, you know, forgot where you parked the car. Right. You know? <laughs> and then he shoots her. Right. right. Dang. Yeah. No way. Right. Like, there, Christopher. And later, right. when he finds the car. See, I told you that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, but actually, that's also kind of rip off from, I'm going to rest another movie, A Place in the Sun, George Stevens' movie. Where Montgomery Cliff is on a rowboat with uh, Shirley uh, Shirley Winters, and what happened is that 
she's pregnant. He doesn't want to marry her. He's in love with Elizabeth Taylor, and they're on a rowboat, yeah. and she's riding him. She's riding him, right? And, you know, and it's like he's on this rowboat, you know? And it's like, I'm going to tell everybody what you did. I'm going to do everything. I bet you wish I was dead. I bet you wish I was dead. And he doesn't kill her. Actually, they get up in the boat and she falls over and drowns. Well, and, and some people but suggested it was, uh, uh, there was a Natalie Wood reference. That's, what I, that's yeah. what I was thinking. But I would just say, when I was watching it, I don't think the laugh that was in the theater that, that I got was that, he was going to shoot her or that he just, she deserved to die because she was nagging him. I think the, the cut was the funny thing. It's like yeah. a tension reliever. Right. That's why, so people kind of laughed at the at that cut. At the cut? Yeah. All right. So it's a point. Well, I thought the cut just underscored the point. What was but, the tension and yeah, the release yeah. of the tension and in the then, cut? Like, uh, that's, and then, again, they kept joking about it throughout the um, the movie, including this part. Now we're coming to this scene here. Uh, including the part at the beginning of his scene with Bruce Lee. That's my favorite part of the movie, okay. or one of my favorite parts. Uh, yeah, it's, okay. Uh, and where someone says to Bruce Lee before they fight, uh, you know he killed his wife, didn't you? <laughs> All right, so uh, Chris, go into that. Why is that your favorite scene? Oh, well, it was or probably the most favorite? entertaining. I mean, uh, the guy who was playing Bruce Lee was pitch perfect. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, he's got the voice down. Yeah, he got the voice down. He got the mannerisms down. And that's kind of when he's wearing, you, he's wearing Kato's jacket. Yeah. And, the, and he's got the Bruce Lee, like, sunglasses and the Bruce Lee leather gloves. And uh, But Brad, that's kind of Brad Pitt's character, whatever, let's forget for a second that he may or may not have killed his wife. He's kind of just this cool stuntman character, right? Kind of just listening to Bruce Lee be a blowhard yeah. in front of a whole group of uh, whole group of people and kind of challenges him to a fight saying, you know, I can't sit here and what, let's say you would kick Cassius Clay's ass, Muhammad Lee's ass is what they say. Yeah. Uh, so they do this little, I guess, what would you call it? Like a, a contest with no striking to the face. And he kind of just overpowers Bruce Lee, which was so funny. And then... Well, it's only two, it's supposed to be best uh, two out of three. They only got to two. I know, but that's what's so funny yeah, when, yeah. when Kurt Russell and, and is it Zoe Bell? Who oh, my plays God. Is, no, <laughs> when she Zoe comes, I mean, that's one of the funniest parts. Yeah. And then the way Kurt Russell deals with the scene, and you can already tell, or they've already established the tension between yeah. Zoe Bell and uh, and, and uh, Brad Pitt's character. I just thought it was a real, I thought it was like kind of the lightest, funniest Tarantino-ish 60s references yeah. just to have these, these two guys fight over that on a, on a soundstage. I thought it was really funny. Christopher? I had a problem with the Bruce Lee scene. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I just could tell my language was screaming it out loud. Yeah, you know, um, and, and uh, they just really made him to be a prick, I felt, in, in this. And I felt that was an insult to his legacy, an insult to what he stood for and believed and how he was like really fighting to teach these martial arts, these, these Chinese arts to all people. Um, that seemed total opposite of the, the person that was portrayed on screen to me, you know, so I was a bit insulted by that. Sergio. I thought it was hysterical. I didn't mind having a spoof with, you know, Bruce Lee. Um, you know, I, once again, when his movie, you know, when he did, I first saw when he was on the Green Hornet TV show. Okay, and then you know he went to Hong Kong, and then he came out with Chinese Connection and Fist of Fury, and he was the guy for me, you know. And Enter the Dragon, and then his last film, Return of the Dragon, and I'll never forget. I'll never get after like was yesterday. I come home and my sister is waiting for me, and I said, "What's the problem?" She said, "Bruce Lee is dead." And I said, that's impossible. He can't die. You know, it's like, I mean, he was everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and he really resonated with black audiences. 
Yeah. You know, a lot. I don't mind that that scene, you know? And I said the guy, he didn't really look like him, but he had the voice down so bad. Well, it was just here, here here's how I took the scene. Uh and I and Christopher, I know exactly what you're saying because Bruce Lee and and Sergio and I are the same generation. So Bruce Lee was this iconic figure for guys our age. And uh he was so cool and he just he, he, he like he opened up the world for who could be a tough guy uh and he opened up the world and like different cultures and what like just you know suddenly he expanded on like what steve mcqueen cool was back in the day and that was so funny because to have brad pitt was like the epitome of steve mcqueen cool in the movie fighting bruce lee is just like a, a one more hollywood thing that tarantino's got going but what tarantino did uh, in in that scene was the exactly what you said. I think he did on purpose. There's a reverence around Bruce Lee that has emerged that he's greater because he died young, I believe. That he's greater yeah. than uh, just a movie star. He's greater than a guy who was uh, a stuntman. He's greater than Cato, and the character was Cato. He's greater than the person who taught you know Hollywood people Kareem Abdul Jabbar, uh, martial arts, et cetera, et cetera. He is like this mythical figure who is like a shaman or something. And what Quentin Tarantino said, no. He was just a hustler on, on the set, like everyone else of the hustlers. He was a trash talker who had to fight his way to the top. And we're going to see him as a trash talking, just smack talking guy. And, uh, and then, you know, Brad Pitt's going to call his bluff on him. And that was like a parody of, of Bruce but Lee. As the other thing is, that, like you mentioned, he keeps calling Cassius Clay. At that time, at that time, um, a lot of people who wanted to put Muhammad Ali down mm -hmm. called him Cassius Clay. Mm -hmm. They went by his you know, slave name, or you know, they was born. Yeah. You remember? I remember a lot of people, even fighters, even when he was Cash. I mean, I'm sorry, even when he was he he had changed his name Muhammad Ali. A lot of people at that time would still call him Cassius Clay. Yeah, no, you Ernie know? Terrell in that right. uh, fight in 1967, we called him Cassius Clay, and so Muhammad Ali, every time he hit him, called me by my, bam! And there's, you could still see the Ernie Terrell, Muhammad Ali segment with Howard Cosell, uh, where Ali goes, even he, the white man, calls me Muhammad Ali. And you don't, But uh, I, what I didn't know was why Bruce Lee kept calling him Cassius Clay was that was a flashback. So it might have been. Well, I was thinking about this. Like, was this mm -hmm. a flashback so far back that? It no, was no. Okay, uh, it wasn't that. No, far because back. what was Greenhorn was on sixty seven, sixty eight. All right. So no, it was like really just a year before. So wait, I don't. That was supposed to be a flashback. That was a flashback. Yeah, it was. Okay. A flashback. It, 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 there was the scene right before was he's he's trying he's, to get him the job. Yeah. Uh, no, the scene right right before. Yeah. Uh, 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 Leo DiCaprio said, "Hey, go fix my TV antenna." Right. So I was like, "Here he is, the yeah. middle of the day, fixing." a TV antenna. He's oh, right. totally out of yeah, it. Yeah. Gotcha. And he takes his yeah. shirt off and he starts to fix the antenna and he just sits there and thinks back. That's right. And then he flashes back to how he screwed everything yeah. up <laughs> right. by beating up. Yeah. Now, and wrecking uh, the car. Christopher Adams, were you uh, upset that in that fight Brad Pitt held his own against the great Bruce Lee? That was part of it, but that was the, the main thing was really the, the attitude that they made Bruce Lee have. It, like really arrogant when you know, in interviews I've seen, he's always been a humble cat, you know, so it was like total opposite of all of that. So, 
uh, they made him more like Muhammad Ali than he probably yeah, well, was. Yeah, the other thing, too, is that, once again, Terrence was rewriting history. Because yeah. in real life, he would have kicked his ass. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Brad his ass. Yeah. But, but uh, once again, like the ending, he rewrites history. That's what we expect yeah. Tarantino to do. Yeah. We rewrite reality. Yeah. Right? Why would he want to rewrite the history of Bruce Lee? You know? I mean, and he, obviously, Tarantino likes Bruce Lee. He did yeah. two movies, basically. Right. Uh, what very... With a lot of homages to, to Bruce Lee. Yeah. And, yeah the so I, I don't know what his problem with Bruce Lee in this movie was, but uh, it was a funny scene. Uh, favorite scenes in the movie. Your absolute drop down favorite scene. Uh, uh, we're not gonna, but we're not going to do the final scene yet. Uh, Christopher. In credits. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. You mean the, the, the commercial of the cigarette? <laughs> Just kidding. Did, uh, did you stick around long enough to see yep. that? Yep. I saw it. All right, man. This guy did not like the movie. Chris. I got a, I got a lot. I liked uh, I liked the Playboy Mansion a lot, just because like that whole setting was wild, mm-hmm. and I put like the perfect time and place stamp on the movie. A Bruce Lee scene was another favorite of mine. Um, there were scenes where I thought Leo DiCaprio was doing some real heavy lifting as an actor, kind of going in and out of his character, and then going into the roles he was playing. Um, I liked that when they would go in and out of uh, cut when they would, he would act, and then he would cut from the scene. Uh, and uh, what about the scene uh, in the, uh, when Brad Pitt goes to the ranch? Oh, loved it! Spawn movie ranch. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, I think they got. I think the. I mean, that it was wild because I've done. A, I mean, that's just a fascinating. When we'll get into the mm-hmm. Charlie Manson part, that's just like a wild, fascinating era that that was actually happening. They were actually there, and that guy was still alive, and they just took over that that move that yeah. kind of dilapidated movie ranch. I love that scene. Love it. And he he builds the tension oh, yeah. in that scene so wonderfully. And Bruce Stern, by the way, that role was originally supposed to be played by Burton Reynolds. Yeah, I saw that. Who passed yeah. away before yeah. he could shoot the scene. So Dern took it over. And Bruce Stern, who also was, played a bad guy in one episode of the FBI. Did you know that? I, I just saw an allusion to that. Right. Uh, in uh, but um, I love that scene because we'll get more into it because... Um, it, okay, as I, I was telling this guy over the weekend. By the way, I love the dog too, Brandy. The dog was awesome. Dog the was dog awesome. Was great. We can all agree the dog <laughs> was awesome. Just weigh in with the dog. <laughs> um, when the whole thing about the Manson family, tell me if you agree with me on this. It was the first time in the United States that people became aware of the existence of cults. There have been cults in Europe, like Hitler, but in the United States, we people didn't have this idea that you could have this one person who can control the minds of people and get them to do things like as if they had no will. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And, and, that re- and that really shocked a lot of people. You remember during the trial when the... Um, the, the, the people, you know, who are on trial for the murder, they were smiling. Yeah. Remember, they were smiling yeah, and yeah. holding hands. And people thought, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. People had no, now it's, people understand, you know, we got Scientology. You got a lot yeah. of things where there are cults. It's not unusual anymore. But that time, 50 years ago, was the first time that people, I mean, there have always been cults. Yeah. But it was really the first time that people now said, what's going on here? We never heard of anything like this before. Yeah. I think it was fascinating too because it's also while that's I don't I don't I, I can't speak to that, but it's also fascinating because it's also so tied into that like the hippie commune thing of that era where there usually was kind of one weird guy 
running other people ragged. And in terms of, we're going to go more about this in detail, in terms of the Manson murders, why yeah. they were committed, there are two theories, which we may go into we'll later, be, yeah. which are both conflicting, which are... What are the theories? What are you talking well, about? Well, the theory is that they committed... Okay, Charles Manson was an unrepentant white supremacist. That's a known fact. And he thought... The reason why Steve McQueen is in the film, Damon yeah. Lewis, he, he was the original victim. They were going to go really after him I mean, first. He was the intended victim. He, original intended victim. But he uh, the first of several they were going to kill. Manson's idea was that they would commit these murders of famous celebrities and, and somehow blame it, leave evidence to blame it on black people like Black Panthers, which would then start a race, race riot. War, yeah. And then, in turn, he would become king of black people. That's a prevailing theory. A, but the other theory is that it was really a drug thing. He would become king of white people. No, no, no black of, people. Of the, of there would be a, a massive race war. A massive, and, no, and no, he would be king of black people. No, not white people, black people. Manson would become. Manson. Wow. Right. Because he said black people can't, don't know how to govern. I'm going to control the black people. It's true. The other theory was that it was just a drug scene that went bad. That Jay Sibling, Manson was a drug dealer. Yeah. He was still a white supremacist, but he was a drug dealer. Jay Sibling, Sebring. who was Sebring, yeah. Sebring, who was a hair a hair guy. Yeah. You know, uh, he sold drugs out of his shop, and he had a deal with Manson, and it went bad, and he kicked him out the house, and Manson sent oh, his people back the next day huh. to wipe out everybody. I I think it's, I, I've not heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. But I think other I lean theory. towards the other only because there's also like, he was tied in with Dennis um, Wilson, Wilson. The, and, 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 the, and the record producer. And so that was their house prior to, and yeah, they do allude to that in the movie it too. Was. Yeah, they alluded yeah. to, okay, so Charles Manson uh, was a failed musician. Charles Manson uh, thought of himself as a good musician. In fact, you could hear his music if you want to uh, on YouTube, uh, if you want to check it out. Uh, and uh, uh, Terry Melcher, who's the Terry in the movie, who That's lived right. in the house, right. uh, was who's the son of, of Doris, Doris Day, Day, who right. once dated what uh, legendary uh, R&B singer? Sergio Mims, please. I'm sorry, say it again. Uh, Doris Day once dated what legendary R&B singer, a movie was made about him that was shown at the Black Harvest Film Festival. Damn. You have to get it. We should have Black Harvest? It was, but not this year. I know. Damn, what was it? Eh. Uh, Sylvester, uh, Sly, Sly Stone, Stone. and uh, okay. Sly Stone dated uh, Doris Day for uh -huh. a while. Doris Day's son is Terry Milcher. Uh, and, what was the movie? Uh, the, a great movie. It's searching for what's it called? Searching for uh, searching for Sly. Yeah, searching for Sly. Yeah, it? Sly. yeah it's a great it's a, movie. Yeah. I saw it at the Black Harvest Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> it is a wonderful documentary about this guy who goes on a search for uh, for years. For goes years on the, for tried Sly just Stone. to meet Sly Stone. Yeah, in fact, the director was there the night. Uh, That's we right. We should, you're right. And you interviewed him. I sure did. Everybody. Uh, but he did. He somehow or other left out that key part that Sly yeah. Stone dated. There was a okay. Here's a there was a black producer in the '60s named Ike. Ike Jones. Okay. He was married to a famous white actress, and he had to keep their marriage a secret because it would ruin her career. Damn. Who was that actress? I do not know that. Tick tock. Tick tock. <laughs> tick tock. It was Inger Stevens. 
<laughs> Get out of here. You really? remember Inger Stevens? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, right. Well, he was the same age. He was secretly married to <laughs> Inger Stevens. That's correct. I, know that. I mean, right. we could do this one all day. We could do this all day. <laughs> like, which famous black uh, actor uh, with one eye? Uh, oh, let uh, me think. Who could that be? The mob said they take out the other eye. Right. And mess around he with was white also women. Jewish. Yeah, so, of Judaism? yeah, that guy, the great Sammy Davis Jr. All right. Anyway, uh, so uh, so Terry Melcher, who was Doris Day's son and a very successful record producer, including producing the Beach Boys, uh, flirted with, if you will, with Charles. Manson and then basically dropped him because he didn't get any talent. And uh, he lived in the house where Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski used to live. And so, um, when it, in the movie, the way they do it, uh, when they when Charles Manson dispatches uh, his minions, we might as well talk about it now. Yeah, it's the one time you see Charlie Manson in the movie. Right. The right. one time you see Charlie Manson right. in the movie right. is when he's going is and he knocks, he goes to Sharon Tate's house. And he says, "Is Terry here?" And, mm -hmm. and does Jace, he say Terry or Dennis? I, I think they no, he said he says Terry, and no. then the guy says, Who? Right. Uh, and he goes, Terry or Dennis Wilson? Yeah. And he does say Dennis Wilson. Uh, and then Jay Sebring sends him away. Sebring, right. uh, Sebring sends him away. All right. Uh, so, uh, favorite scene. I love that scene. Uh, there was a great scene, the build up, everything about it, the scene where um, uh, Brad Pitt ends up confronting the, I forget old boy's name, you know, who. Pops his tire. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know what his name Come is. On. You yeah. like that yeah. one, Christopher Adams? No, that's a great like, Something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. tired of the movie. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a great scene. What about, what was your thoughts about the scene where uh, uh, Sharon Tate watches herself uh, on the movie? Man. So my comments on that are very tied into my thoughts on the movie. I thought it was really eerie because you're watching actual Sharon Tate. You're not watching, you know, they're not doing what they did with Leo, putting him in The Great Escape. You're actually watching Sharon Tate. And that's, can we lead, lead into Go where ahead. we're going? So that around there, there's definitely a turn in the movie. I think they, it goes to black and they come back up with Kurt Russell narrating, right? Mm -hmm. And it is that moment I started to get really uneasy in my seat because I uh -huh. said, oh my God, are we gonna watch these people get slaughtered? Oh, yeah. Um, I kept wondering how he how is he going to address this exactly, yeah. and I right. got really because uneasy. because in real life when the police showed up, the medical examiners they threw up. It was so horrific what was in the house and what they had done, and she was like eight months pregnant, eight and a half months pregnant. This is and horrible. Yeah. And I said, well, he he can't, can't do that. He, he can't. can't do it. But he's Quentin Tarantino. You know, yeah, exactly. No, but even then, still. Even he knows he's got limits. And I go like, well, what is it going to do? And what he does is what he did in, in Glorious Bastards. I'm going to rewrite history. Mm -hmm. Okay? It, this is not the way it happened. This is the way I wish it had happened. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, well, you explain it. Well, yeah, here are spoiler alert. We really yeah. should duck yeah. out now because uh, we give it away a lot of the movie. This is a big one. Uh, but this is a big one. So, all right, everybody. Uh, in real life, Charles Manson dispatched four people, four of his followers, four of his cult followers, uh, to the uh, Sharon Tate mansion or the Sharon Tate home and with orders to kill everybody in the house and make it horrific and make it horrific and so one woman in the movie they have her run away mm -hmm. but in real life she stuck stuck around and she was the lookout 
mm-hmm. and the three others, Tex uh, and two women, walk up into the house. They catch people unsuspecting. There's five. There's four people in the house. There's Sharon. Tate is in the house. God, if I could do this. Abigail uh, Folger is in the house. From the coffee. The, the coffee uh, uh, heiress. Uh, there's her boyfriend, a Polish guy whose name I can't remember. And well, Jace. he was Polanski's friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But right. I thought he was boyfriend. Oh, maybe not. It was, maybe right. he wasn't Folger's boyfriend. Anyway, and then there's Jay Sebring, who is the hairdresser. Uh, they catch them unaware, the Manson people do, and uh, they essentially slaughter them. Uh, they uh, knife them. They're killed with the knife, and I think somebody is shot. Uh, and that's where uh, Tex uh, makes this. Uh, he, believe it or not, I wrote a book. And can you believe this guy, the murderer, wrote a book? And uh, I know it's like Tex, my way, or something like that. And uh, they asked him who he was. He had a gun to him. He goes, I am the devil. I'm here to do the devil's yeah, work. Yeah. All right. And and then he, they, they're slaughtered. And when uh, the world wakes up to learn about this slaughter, it scares the hell out of people in Hollywood because it breaks down their their illusion that they're protected from such uh, violence. And, of course, uh, and, uh, Charles Bergosi, who was the district attorney, Vincent. wrote that book, Helter, yeah, Skelter, 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 which yeah. is still is the best-selling true crime book ever right? written. Uh, and then the next day, Manson, he said, Manson said, you guys didn't do it right. I'm going to show you how you do it. And they went out to another location in, uh, in, in the Los Angeles area and killed two more people. And and wrote pig on the wall right. and the blood. Uh, that's what he did on the door of the first house too. Did you yeah, mention that? Yeah, right. And uh, so, all right. So that's the setup. That's what happens in real time. And as Chris uh, was saying, there's a moment when he, when they tell you that it's this is the day. It's August 9th. 1969 and you know and they're doing the timeline they're like it's 650 it's 750 and you kurt russell's doing the narration all of a sudden and you just feel the tension they're coming down the wire they're gonna Uh show this murder it's quentin tarantino how am i gonna watch this what's gonna happen and then qt does his little qt thing he says i don't want to go that direction I want to go in a different direction. And instead, instead of going up to the uh, Sharon Tate house, the um, the the three uh, detour into the house where Leonardo DiCaprio is hanging out, at lives, and Brad Pitt is hanging out there. Tripping, tripping on acid. Wife. Tripping, <laughs> Trip, is, yeah, tripping, yeah. tripping on acid. Tripping on acid. <laughs> and there is a confrontation there. And should we tell them? Yeah. 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 So in that confrontation, Brad Pitt uh, and the dog and the dog. Yes, the dog. <laughs> I love the dog. Beats the shit and kills all three. Yeah, Manson. and Leo comes out with the flamethrower. So he, which, so, which is come on, Chris? No, no, which is which is the old, what which is the old saying, old joke is that the play is that. If you bring out a gun in the first act, you have to use it in the third oh, that's act. That's funny. Right. Good. So if you bring out a flamethrower <laughs> in the first act of a movie, yeah. you're going to bring it back. Because yeah. I said, why is, Why he spend so much time showing him how to use a flamethrower? Because he's going to bring it back yeah. at right. the end. Uh, so my problem, if I may, so it's a great scene mm-hmm. with the acid and the and the... If it were just a fictitious scene, it would have been awesome. And and I love the scene. I love it. There was something really unsettling to me about it because at the even after it's done... You know, you see J.C. bring offering in for coffee. You hear Sharon Tate on the microphone. But in my mind, I'm saying, yeah, that's great that he envisioned this. But these people actually got horribly slaughtered. And like an eight and a half month pregnant woman got horribly slaughtered. It was a little different with Hitler. It was already the setting. It was already World War II. It was already going on. You can fantasize about killing Hitler. That's awesome, right? Something about this like tiny 
insular scene where these like four, like however many people got slaughtered, just it, it like it seemed wrong. like for me in some regard. Again, I'm, I'm pulling back on that. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine, but I know how you guys loved it. And like, just, like he rewrote history. That's what Quentin Tarantino does. It seemed really like in, almost in bad taste for a moment to me because mm. it, like he went he went that far. He had his fantasy. But it's like, and then you're walking out of the theater and you're like, cool, that was the fantasy, but that's not what happened. No, but in a way, you, you say to yourself, once again, gee, I wish this the way it had happened. And you also, you, you think, because I think this movie ends on a beautiful note, really lovely note of one of second chances and redemption and that final shot where yeah. we see the characters. And you go like, wow, if this is the way it happened, what would happen with Roman Polanski? He wouldn't have gotten in trouble, maybe. No, that he that, wouldn't. He, he would not have. Yeah, I know. Been, he got in trouble for uh, sleeping with an underage. You know, girl, we don't yeah. say, no, literally, right? Yeah. Where were Sharon? What would happen with Sharon Tate? Would he become a bigger star? Yeah. You know, what would have happened to all these people? How would Hollywood would have changed if this didn't happen? I feel the same thing, but it makes it even more morose for me. You wow. think no? If they had gone, what really happened? It would have been, been such. No, oh it would have been terrible. I could have watched that. No, you're right. No, but what? maybe just don't. Maybe set it in this same setting without the real references. But listen again. I'm. I'm not. I'm not mad at it. I think it's fine. I like it. I think it's an awesome scene. But it's just like while I was watching, it, I kept thinking like, yeah, cool. This is like revisionist fantasy porn. But like yeah. the reality is still so brutal. Yeah, it is. But it was a it was a brutal scene too, though. It was an awesome I really, scene. Yeah, it was awesome. Scene. I loved it. I, I really like when he threw the the dog food can at old girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hit her in the just head. like hit her yeah. in the head, yeah. and she was just like. But yeah. by the way, like the way how funny they played that for, where Brad Pitt had met these people before, six months before at Spawn yeah. Movie Ranch, yeah. and then he's kind of tripping on acid, and he's like trying to figure out if this is. He's like, "Are you real?" Right. Like that was played for a lot of fun, like a good amount well, of humor. No, the line, what he did was, uh, I was just alluding to that text line that text claims he said he goes, "I'm the devil, and I am uh, here uh, to, do to do the, the devil's, devil's work. work." And Brad Pitt fudges it basically. No, he, he goes. So Brad Pitt goes, "Man, I know you." Who are you? And he goes, I am the devil. I'm no, here to no, like, no, some simpler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 you're yeah, dumb. Yeah. Dumb, dumb, dumb. That is a great line, yeah. Christopher Adams. Yes, that was <laughs> Come on. Line. All right, so what did you think of that scene overall? I, I enjoyed that scene. I finally woke up. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, <laughs> cool. Something's happening that I can, you know, yeah. Uh, and uh, here's the payoff. Did you... Um, do you share Chris's uh, objection to it? Uh, um, I mean, I thought about it, you know, but I, I thought it was hopeful. Like, yeah, this is what should have happened. You know, I mean, as a person that lives in a community with lots of violence, there's plenty of times I'm like, man, this should have happened this way, should have happened that way. So it was, it was cool to see that should have happened. So I, I didn't mind it, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. And also, he's kind of playing off at the attitude at the time about hippies. These dirty hippies, when they cut their hair, they come on down, these dirty hippies. And he's kind of playing off a riff on that, which was the attitude, remember, attitude at the time. Yeah. About hippies and about this whole generation at the time that was coming up that people couldn't grab onto. They couldn't figure out. What is it about these, well, we say it today, I say it today. What is it about these kids today? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. um, so he's playing off on that. But once again, I, I just think it was really brilliant because he just, I said, how am I going to approach this? Because I can't do what really happened. Yeah. So I'm going to have to figure out. I thought, really, it's a cheap thing where we see him go in the house 
and then the camera moves back and then we hear people screaming and something and we don't see what's going on. I said, my no, it's Tarantino. He's going to show you something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, like, again, it's, it's um, Inglorious Bastards. Gee, if we had killed Hitler and all those guys sooner, we would have been, we would we would have been out of World War II in 1944. Yeah. You know, or something well, like that. Just the glorious, I think the Glorious Bastard did play, take place in 1944, so much of the yeah. destruction would happen anyway. That was pure re- revenge fantasy. Uh, you would not have prevented the 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 murder of by by the time hitler gets killed in glorious bastards a lot of people have been already killed Mm -hmm. all of the the battle in in the soviet union had taken place like 20 million people had died so in this movie literally you would have saved no but in in this case in in, in the case of glorious bastards it's like we killed him yeah it's not like hitler killed himself in the bunker right or like most of them did or were put on trial yeah. at Nuremberg, or killed himself before he went on trial. You know, we got the yeah. bastard. Yeah, we got them well, it's all. Similar to Django. Right. I mean, in Django. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, who? Uh, who? Uh, Jamie Fox uh, kills the slavers right. and uh, yeah. and blows away Samuel Jackson. Right. Uh, I mean, oh, by the way, Samuel Jackson was not in this movie. To Chris's point that there was no black people no, in the movie. No, no, but the, he the, was disappointed. You see that? No, but the thing about Django, <laughs> I couldn't believe how people got so upset about Django when they said, it's not the way it was. No, it wasn't. That's the point. Yeah. It isn't the way you wish it yeah. was. Right. Boy, I wish it take a gun and blown I'm sick of the 12 years of slaves. I'm sick right. of roots. You know, I'm sick of I these... W- where we always lose when that wasn't the case, you know, we need to we need to see the stories like you need to see uh, Kilumbo. You, you remember Kilumbo? Yeah, Kilumbo. Yeah. Or you know, Any or movie, uh, movies where we won. Or so, wait, or, what happened in Kilumbo? Kilumbo was about um, Brazilian Brazilians, movie. slaves who revolted and successfully fought off French, Spanish, Europe for hundreds of years. Or Sankofa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Haile Jarima's movie. Where also they go back with damn, catches and knives. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know? yeah, so. But, but um, yeah, in Quilombo, I mean, these successful ex-slave communities won, yeah, and they're still revered today in in, in Brazil, you know, and in South America. You know, it's like it's like okay, you're gonna hate me say like two days ago. Okay, you know Trump had a meeting with some black preachers. These sellout bootleg, mm-hmm. sellout bootleg, I mean bootlick. Mm-hmm. You know. Jack Lake preachers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and one of them was interviewed on by Dan, uh, uh, Don Lemon. Okay, mm-hmm. it's two days ago. Yeah, right. Okay, and the guy's talking about, you know, I grew up poor, you know, in a one room shack with no heat, no electricity. <laughs> okay, great. And now, <laughs> and I've been invited to the invitation. White House. You know, these good white folks invited me to the White House, and and I go like, <laughs> and they go like, oh, I wish I was Django, you know, <laughs> right. like, oh, you know. Where's the drop squad when you need it? Right. That? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, I was like, oh. You know, and you, and so when Django comes out, and now he got all, got back into slavery, he got back into sellouts, and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was catharsis for black people for right. once. Yeah. Most of those era movies, I feel feel like catharsis for white people. And I was surprised how many black people, a lot of black people loved it, but black people said, "This is not the way it was." Yeah. You like, duh. Yeah, I know that. No, yeah, and Inglorious Bastards. Let me tell you something. 
big time catharsis for Jewish people. Yeah, not because it's the Jews that are killing Hitler, and yeah. uh, and in similarly, I think. Um, that final scene in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is catharsis for old people because the, I, Chris, I cannot tell you what an impact the Manson murders had on people of my generation. Uh, it was a scarring moment. It just was a frightening moment. The media seized it and the trial in which you had, and, and this gets to, the, I can't yeah, remember which one of you said about the cults, but the, the trial where these uh, women showed up day after day to show their reverence for the master. Yeah, smiling. He, smiling. And, and holding and, hands. And holding hands. It was frightening. And, and then there were all these rumors that there was going to be these breakouts, that, 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 that they were going to f- uh, free Manson from uh, jail, that they had underground right, like, yeah, cave tunnels and stuff like that. that stuff, Freaked yeah. everybody out. So in this movie, Quentin Tarantino says, ah, the hell with all that. Right. We're just going to kill it. That's what I said. That's what I said. This movie is like my childhood. You're growing up in that period. You remember that time. And what was going on at that time? It's like um, you, you remember Charles Whitman. Remember Charles Whitman? Yeah, that was the guy mm-hmm. who got out of Texas. Okay, Texas, Texas, Texas right? Yeah. When that happened, people now it happens all the time. Uh, that was the Nobody first, yeah. is surprised about that. But at the time, the idea that a gunman would go into a tower or go some not even just a tower, someplace and just for no reason kill people that was unheard of all right so uh i'm coming up to the end of uh, the a lot of time trivia question. who played him in a tv movie who, uh, charles whitman yeah tick tock uh, it was called the deadly tower tick tock uh, i'm just gonna take a guess tick tock um anthony perkins no <laughs> <laughs> you even mentioned him on the show tick tock today tick-tock. yeah tick tock tick tock tick tock uh, george Securis. Did I, no. did I say George? Kurt Russell. What? No. Kurt Russell played Charles Ridman in the TV movie The Deadly Tower. Wow. That's correct. I, uh, I saw it on, it was on NBC. NBC, um, wow. it's NBC TV I did movie. I know that. Uh, you can get it on DVD. Uh, not that I want to have. That's a very troubling moment in uh, in life. Uh, all right. We went back to uh, like yeah. the beautiful references of, did anyone catch the dog's name in the, uh, the, um, J.C. Bring and Sh- and Sharon Tate's dog's name. No, what was oh. it? Saperstein. Do you notice that reference from? Uh, that's the the doctor's name in Rosemary's Baby. Oh, God God see, look at the brain on Brad. <laughs> well, you know, what's that a reference to? What? Oh, I don't look know. on the brain on Brad. Oh yeah, oh. Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. A much better movie. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get down to that. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, Chris, buddy, was so nice. He put in his opinion. This is the right man's opinion. opinion the right opinion. <laughs> just one man's opinion. I'm gonna emphasize that one man's opinion. Uh, the uh, in order. Uh, uh, did you? It, it's ascending order, correct? So I went it, from a, I went from one to nine, and that's another no, thing. I didn't from, know that. Like, went, so this is his ninth movie. Yes, but Kill Bill's two movies. I guess he considers Kill Bill one movie. Yes. Then. Okay. So all right, he will now give his. Or do you just want me to tell you where where Hollywood lands, or you want me to tell you the, my whole thing? Give you your whole list, and I'm going to ask uh, the, the, uh, our two other uh, experts in the studio for their thoughts. Well, I have all a right. feeling where Chris's will land on. Yeah. His list. <laughs> I don't think Chris uh, <laughs> Adams uh, will be the same. Well, I don't know. Maybe some similarities. Go ahead. So I put, just as an asterisk, I like True Romance, but he only wrote that, and he and Tony Scott directed it. But I think that's 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's like one the best. There you go. That's the best wow. one he did. Okay. That he's involved. With. I go like this: Reservoir Dogs number one, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction number two, Django Unchained number three, Once Upon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood number four, Inglorious Bastards five, Hateful Eight six, Death Proof seven, Jackie Brown eight, Kill Bill nine, and then four rooms way down at the bottom. Yeah, I barely even remember four rooms. What's a segment? He just did the segment. Uh, okay, go ahead, Sergio. You're next. Go ahead. Um. I'm the, I'm, let me do the top three. Uh, it, wait, there was one you mentioned. Um, uh, hold on, what was it? Um, oh, you just mentioned something. Um, oh, Where's of Our Dogs, which is uh, City on Fire. You see City on Fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Ringo um, I, let me do top three. Number one, I think, is Django. I love Django. Two deaths, yeah. right? Number two, uh, Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I went and saw Jackie. I, I got well. I got a bunch of films on Blu-ray. I just looked at Jackie Brown again. I love the dialogue okay, yeah, in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love, love the dialogue in that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so that's, that's number two. Number three, right now, I would say Hollywood. Okay, wow. All right. Hollywood. Yeah. And at number four, I would pick um, Pulp Fiction. Okay. Okay. There you All go. Right. And, and then we'll, I can forget the other. Okay. Go ahead. So for me, I have to put True Romance, even though he didn't. He wrote it. He didn't direct it. But also Natural Born Killers. Oh, that's a good one. Oh. Those are like two of my favorite movies. Oliver Stone. Yeah. Yep. From a Tarantino script, which has characters that cross over. Skagnetti. Oh yeah, Skagnetti on Skagnetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, crossover from from other films, including Reservoir Dogs. They mention him as the parole officer in, in that. So, uh, True Romance, Natural Born Killers, Reservoir Dogs, Django, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, um, Inglorious Bastards. I said, what was number one again? True romance. True romance. We're just saying. Okay, okay. 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 Yeah. Then okay. yeah. um, <laughs> the Kill Bills. Right. And I'd put uh, this new one last. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you'll be never invited back to the show again. No, just <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, no, an old friend of mine, Chris Adams. Uh, we don't always agree. All right. Uh, first of all, guys, I'm sorry. Number one greatest all time uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Everybody knows this, except apparently uh, the other three people in this room. <laughs> Everybody knows that Jackie Brown is the greatest <laughs> Quentin Tarantino I put movie number two. ever made. Okay, uh, everybody also knows that Inglorious Bastards is the second greatest uh, Quentin Tarantino. And everybody knows, except for Chris Adam, that uh, Hollywood is the third greatest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, I go with Django Four, which. I just, there's so many scenes in Django I love, but it, I thought it was too long, ultimately. It's and, the same length as Hollywood. Yeah, yeah but really I just love Hollywood, man. And, and five, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. There okay. you go. So uh, I love True Romance, but all his I, films are long. They're I mean, all, but on, they're all guys. good movies. They're we're arguing against. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, we're working against well, like masterworks. Some of us don't think Hollywood's a good movie. Chris <laughs> <laughs> Adams. Uh, and but I don't know. I you know it, it is is True Ma- Romance a, a really a Quentin Tarantino movie? I mean, the man did not direct. Right. That's, yeah. That, you know, it's, it's got his stamp though. Right. It's got his dialogue. It's got his like pop culture references. Mm-hmm. It it's got his stamp. I mean, Tony Scott maybe. Elevated that script. Who knows? So. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, White Boy Day. It's this White yeah, Boy. Drexel. Yeah, Drexel. <laughs> yeah. Gary Oldman's no, best role. Guy has got me wanting to go back. I own the script at home, uh, and I read it from time to time. I'm really weird. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but uh, I, I I really uh, enjoyed. Um, 
the Hollywood movie. I guess maybe, uh, Chris, you know, part of it is that I grew up. Yeah, you know, I, think I think there's definitely a, gen- there's it's, a it's generational. A it's a generational yeah. thing. Yeah, right. definitely. Uh, yeah. Movies I enjoy better that kind of similar. Um, uh, Wonderland with uh, Val Kilmer. Oh my, that was uh, the John Holmes movie. Yeah. That was a wild movie. Oh yeah. man, that oh, was a wild. Yeah, okay. Talk about Wonderland. Tell people what. The- uh, so Wonderland was about uh, John Holmes, the porn star, and his fall from grace, and how he got basically involved with with drug dealing and stuff, and it led mm-hmm. to these horrible murders. Uh, yeah, uh, in Hollywood in the '80s, I guess. Yeah, so that that's a good movie. Um, another movie, just because of all the Western references, Five Fingers of Marseille. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I've South heard of it. African I Western. Know, I know. I've heard Five of it. I've seen the trailer. I haven't seen it. It's gorgeous, beautiful. Yeah. It is fantastic. I can't remember. Is that, is that a, new? Uh, oh. About last year, oh, wow, I think. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a. Uh, uh, I guess, yeah, South African film. But yeah. All right, mm-hmm. let's close down this segment. Each of us uh, offer our listeners uh, a movie that maybe they haven't seen, that in your humble opinion, you're going to have to come up with another one, okay. uh, that you think they absolutely have to see. And it does not necessarily Quentin Tarantino. Sergio, is there a movie that you absolutely feel people uh, should go see? You mean now or a movie from the past? Anything, anytime. It's funny because I'm putting together a list of movies that I said time has forgotten. And one of the movies, I'm going back, it's a movie from 1970 called The Molly Maguires by Martin Ritt. Yeah, it's with Sean movie. Connery and Richard Harris. And you know who the Molly Maguires were? Yeah, they're the um, they're like uh, radicals. Yeah, yeah, the Molly Maguires mm-hmm. in the 1870s in Pennsylvania. They it is a coal mining town, and they were a terrorist group. Yeah, they were a terrorist group mm-hmm. who were fighting for the all these really Irish and Welsh workers who were getting screwed by the companies, and they committed terrorist acts. You know, killing people, committing bombings, and Richard Harris plays a Pinkerton detective who infiltrates the group, which is led by Sean Connery. And he becomes conflicted because he's got to do his job as a cop, but at the same time, he sympathizes with these men and what they're going for. You can get it on DVD. But it's a, a film that's not really well known. It was a flop when it Major came out. Major flop. Major flop when it came out. But uh, Martin Ritt, who was blacklisted when he was, Martin, you know. Yes, right. right. He was right. a Hollywood uh, guy. Right. Uh, it's a tremendous picture. If I may, it's very interesting you should bring that movie up because in the pivotal era of the late 60s that was one of the major bombs that led to the studios like cleopatra paint your wagon the molly Maguires. these movies bombed and basically ruined these studios letting guys like dennis hopper scorsese all these guys to kind of take the reins and and bagdanovich coppola Coppola. Uh, so that was like one of the films that kind of uh that was like kind of uh a linchpin to this like new era of Hollywood sixties. But the movie I will say, which I, I talked to you on the phone the other day about, which I rewatched, it always been a favorite of mine, late sixties, I believe, geez, I'm gonna get the date wrong, but I just rewatched MASH, Robert Altman's MASH. Oh, yeah. It's 70. Yeah. It's 70, okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought, it snuck its way into my top 10 after watching it again. Um, love that movie. Because you, you remember what happened with that picture. MASH came out in 70, like early, late winter, but the movie, every and it, it was a sensation. It made Altman's career mm-hmm. and everything. But everybody was waiting for Catch Twenty Two. It was coming out later yeah. that year from Mike Nichols, and that was a flop, mm-hmm. and nobody liked it. And everybody says, "Boy, imagine what Catch Twenty Two was." At the end, 
people were still talking about MASH. Yeah. Right? Because no. Cash 22, which you look at it today, is wildly uneven. Right? Yeah, no, Catch 22 is very, but they, by the way, they came with a, a TV version of it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's that. on Hulu. It's yeah. George Clooney. George did Clooney. It. Oh, weird. It. I never uh, heard of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christopher? Anyway. Yes. So I've been digging what's been coming out of Korea. So Memoirs of a Murder, which was based on how uh, Korea's first serial killer. And they had never had it, and they had to deal with it, and how they were screwing things up, these cops, and it was, it's a really powerful movie. And then another Korean movie, it's a revenge film called I Saw the Devil. Oh, and I these, haven't seen that, but uh, I know of it. Are yeah. these, uh, can you rent these? Uh, yeah, you should be able to, most of them I think are on Prime, or some of the okay. you know, major streaming uh, I get streaming it services. Little, uh, from Netflix. I'm gonna close down the show by uh, doing recommendations in-house. I'm gonna tell absolutely everybody. Uh, Chris Buddy's documentary, You Gotta Run, Don't Walk to See It, on uh, Blackjack Dealers. The, in the title, I always call it Blackjack, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, I always just refer to it as the Blackjack yeah. documentary, but it is called Inside the Edge of Professional Blackjack Adventure. It's a great documentary. I urge everybody to check it out. I wrote about it in a reader, and uh, it's a fascinating. Anybody, you make you think twice about uh, using gambling as a way to finance our uh, system. That is true. And then, uh, a shout out to uh, And Sergio. let's put it all on the south side. Uh, yeah, put it all on the south side, although it won't go to the south side before all is said and done. You heard that prediction here first. Uh, and uh, Black Harvest Film Festival, one of my favorite movies of all time. Christopher Adams, it's on my list. Definitely top 25. Uh, Crooklyn, uh, which is my generation. And uh, Spike Lee's sister will be there. Am I right she about that? Yeah, she the, wrote the movie. Yeah, she wrote the movie. She'll be there. And Zelda Harris. Who plays? Who played the lead in the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be there too. They're both going to be there together. Zelda Harris is now thirty-four years old. Okay, think about that. Oh. Yeah, I just I have a hard time believing that she's <laughs> a little girl in the movie. Right. Uh, so that's uh, August twenty-ninth. That's the final day. So I urge everybody to check. But we got that a lot out. of good stuff in between the third yeah. and the twenty-ninth. And I uh, haven't seen it, so I can't really give it a shout out. But I'm going to send you a link to uh, before I leave. Parad- okay. Paradigm Gray. Uh, you can go to Paradigm Gray. P a r a d i g m g r e y dot com to find out about our black sci-fi anthology film. It's like a black Black Mirror, Black Twilight Zone. Uh, that's some twisted stories. So even though Christopher Adams didn't appreciate the greatest movie of the year, uh, he's a fantastic <laughs> filmmaker, and I love him dearly. And, uh, I put up with him anyway. Uh, and so thank you very much, Christopher Adams, Chris Buddy, thank Sergio you. Mims. It's a delight to have you in the studio. Always a pleasure, Ben. Take care, everybody.